Well, it's episode two now, so it means I get to say it. It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It's time for the All Radical Wrestling Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam, aka ACS Radical. Glad to be joining you guys again. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. If you're listening to this on an audio platform, whether it be Anchor, Spotify, I think that's the only two we're still available on right now. That is anchor.fm slash Wrestling. Thank you for supporting us there. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, thank you again. Like and subscribe. And if you want to see the video version of this podcast, it is youtube.com slash csradical. You can also follow me on Twitter at csradical as well, where I usually post about video games, wrestling, and other things that make me angry. That's that's usually how the internet works. But yeah, let's get right into the show. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, we have both Dynamite and Rampage. We have uh, several news stories that are very interesting. But I do want to start with the post-media scrum that came out after All Out, All Elite Wrestling, putting that up on YouTube for all of us to see. A lot of interesting information. I did want to go over that because I thought it was very pertinent to show just how big a deal this pay-per-view was, especially for the three major names that we got as the big debuts. I mean, not counting Minoru Suzuki, which we'll get into in the Dynamite portion of this podcast. And oh boy, I'll love to get into that. But like I said, we're going to start with the media scrum. I'm just going to talk about like some of the key things that I heard during these interviews that, you know, I really thought were interesting or really, really, really emotional. And, and we'll, we'll obviously see what that means. Uh, starting off with CM Punk, very, very brief. He Again, all of them are very good at basically letting you know that they're not trying to compete. They may be like in their heads thinking, okay, well, we want to be better than WWE. We want to, we want to beat these guys. But realistically, like, unless you're on the business side, I don't even know if they are even either, but like Punk is saying, look, I'm not even, I'm not even thinking about WWE. I'm just focusing on what we're doing. Like, I'm not worried about what, you know, any other business is doing because it doesn't matter. It means nothing. The only other thing that he said that was really interesting was that um, Sting talked about how Punk's match with Darby reminded him of what Flair did for him in WCW, and that was a big part of what Punk was trying to do when he came in. That's what he said that he wanted to do. He wanted to be like, you know, he talked about an um, an interview that they did to hype up the pay-per-view, how Eddie Guerrero was a big influence on him when he was working in the indies in that little in-between when he got fired and then rehired by WWE. And that's what Punk wants to be. He wants to be that similar guy that guys learned a bunch off of that, you know, they're able to take from and become the big stars that they all think they can be in the same vein of what Sting says Flair did for him when he was starting out in WCW. And I thought that was a really, a really cool comment. And it just seems like Sting at at his age, knowing that he can't go the way that he used to, he knows that his role is just to enhance everybody around him and just to help everybody learn and get better. And Punk realizes that, you know, now that he's in his 40s, he's likely not going to be, you know, the megastar that he used to be in WWE, winning the world title, having that for over 400 days. He knows that that's not his role now. His role now is to get the stars of tomorrow ready for the show. And that's what he's doing. Uh, Next up, probably the most emotional interview during that media scrum was Ruby Soho. I also saw the little, like, eight to nine minute thing they put up on YouTube showing behind the scenes and like Ruby hanging out with, uh, I guess it would be crazy Mary Dobson now, but Sarah Logan from WWE, apparently they were really good friends and how emotional she got seeing her backstage there and how welcome she felt. But yeah, she said in, in the media scrum, she doesn't plan on wasting any time. She's had 11 years of waiting for an opportunity like this. She mentioned how, uh, Lars Fredrickson of Rancid gave her the name Ruby Soho and the usage of the song that we do here in the entrance. I saw, 
the uh, podcast that they did. I can't remember for some reason. I can't remember his podcast right now, but I saw the show they did with Ruby and the reaction that she felt when Lars just straight up said, look, you can just use Ruby Soho. Why not? And you could see that like adulation, almost like that giddy child in her. That was a really cool, emotional thing to see. And then she talked about how she's never experienced in her entire wrestling career. And this is amazing to me. Her name being chanted the way that it was chanted at All Out, including before she even came out. Like there was that five second period where just before her entrance, everybody knew that it was going to be her. So they were all chanting it and she's never felt that way before. And that's kind of sad, but that tells you how WWE didn't really use her very well. And even in NXT, she really didn't get a fair shake to have a chance to be chanted the same way that obviously she was here. And then to finish it off, she expressed how amazed she felt during her first day because it felt like home. It felt like, you know, it was an actual place where she could be and feel comfortable and not feel, you know, on edge all the time. And the one thing that she said that was the biggest uh, thing for me is that she's never been this happy before. And that's something that we've seen a lot from people when they've come into this. And I think that's why a lot of people have been making the jump. It's that it's not nearly as stressful, you know, because you don't have to worry about, you know, as, as, uh, John Moxley was saying in his interview with talk is Jericho, like all the times you have to go back into the, back into Vince's office or back and forth with the writers trying to get through all the random crap they're giving you just the inevitable stress of all the bullshit. And then the politics and everything else, not to say there probably aren't politics and a little bit of backstage work that you got to do in AEW, But to the sheer extent that it seems like it happens in WWE, it seems like that's not the case. And as a lot of people have said, you know, in the back, it really does feel like a family back there where it's always it's always said, oh, we're a family in WWE or it's all about the boys. But the reality is that it never was. It was all about yourself and everybody was trying to backstab you at every turn. Whereas it seems in AEW, you know, for the most part, it really is like a camaraderie. And that means a lot when you're, you know, you're working and and you putting your body in danger every single time you go out there to know that at least if you go backstage, you're not going to have the mental stress of dealing with that too. You just got to worry about getting your match, getting it done, you know, getting all your stuff in, making sure it looks great, make sure you do your job. And then as soon as you come backstage, for the most part, unless you're some of the people that do more work backstage as well, but you get to just chill and like enjoy yourself and actually have fun, which is a big thing that I've heard as well in many different uh, interviews over the course of the last, especially the last six months. Uh, Adam Cole was next up. He talked briefly about his contract saying he was under the impression that he had another six months until his contract was up, which again, you know, as we've seen with, and I'll have another couple of stories to get into pertaining to a similar situation, but we obviously know with Aleister Black, now Malachi Black, same deal. They forgot to, you know, changes his, uh, his no compete clause from 30 days to 90 days. Like it just seems like for a lot of guys, they just don't care, which again, you know, it kind of shows that, you know, unless you're the few people that Vince is really interested in, they don't really pay that much attention to you. But he did say during his contract talks, uh, that his talks with WWE went great, but in the end, he felt like he was more excited of the idea with working in AEW and with Tony Khan. He also mentioned how he feels like you're allowed to be far more creative in AEW which, I mean, again, we all know that Tony gets the final say. There was a brief period where it seemed like people were getting a lot of control, and then inevitably Tony said, okay, I need to make sure that, you know, everything's signed off with my seal of approval to make sure we're, we're controlling as much as we can. Um, Cole also mentioned that 
All Out was, or the ending of All Out, like the entire segment was his easily his favorite moment of his career thus far, which means a lot given the amount of stuff that he's done in, in NXT, not to mention what he's done in Ring of Honor, uh, and even performing in the Tokyo Dome in New Japan, you know, a lot of stuff like that. Another big thing, and we all knew this from all the reports that we saw, his Twitch channel was a very important thing to him. He needed to keep that. It was a pretty big deal for him because it was like this newfound thing that he didn't really know existed, but the pandemic kind of saw him, you know, open up more in that aspect. And he and I, I can only imagine somebody who, you know, does get to interact with fans, you know, at house shows, and sometimes you get to do autograph signings and stuff. But Twitch, it really is like if you have that kind of following, it's the easiest way to be able to interact with all your fans without it being, you know, you don't have to worry about needing security. You don't have to worry about, you know, especially with the pandemic, you don't have to worry about, you know, spreading any germs. Like it's just behind a camera. You see people on the chat and you just, you can interact as much as you want. And it, it probably does open up a lot. And then the last thing in his interview, Tony Khan mentioned that, uh, they went, he said 74 and one. I don't know if that number is true or not. Because, I mean, I, I don't even know if it was only 75 weeks or, you know, if that's the actual record. But he said they went 74-1 and one in the demo against NXT. And the one guy that always scared him the most, you know, whenever they were looking for the ratings was, was Adam. And, you know, now they have him, you know, it's obviously big for them. Uh, Brian Danielson is the last one that I have notes here for. Uh, it was a similar thing. Like, he loved working in WWE. He really did feel like um, he would have stayed there. But there were a lot of little things that kind of got he mentioned you know there was a lingering desire to try something different or as he called it being a little bit wild um he talked about vince being a little overprotective of him Meltzer obviously pointed out i I believe it was Meltzer that was saying that he wanted to work in the g1 and as soon as wwe talks broke with new japan and AEW basically like reeled them in like that went away and that was a big part of of i I just i think i said daniel bryan again but uh, brian danielson it was a big part of him, you know, he wanted to do the G1 or he wanted to at least work in Japan. And when that relationship was gone, it made it really easy for him to, you know, make his decision at that point. But he also came because he he personally wanted to see how good these guys are in AEW or, you know, he named Omega Hangman specifically. I think he may, might have named a couple other guys, but I don't remember. He joked, though, I, and this is what I like about him, and I kind of like this this version of Brian Danielson we're getting. Because he joked that Punk wants to help the younger guys. He just wants to kick their fucking asses, as he put it. And I like the idea that, you know, here he is. He knows he's, you know, top-end talent. He's still a good guy, but he knows he's one of the best. And he doesn't really care about making friends, even though he is like a a baby face. He just wants to show that he is the best, and that's all he cares about. I like that. Uh, He says he appreciates the fans doing the yes chance, but he isn't sure if he's going to keep doing it himself. I imagine he doesn't want to be pigeonhole by being the same character he was in wwe so i imagine that's a big part of it uh he feels that more people are more authentic in AEW, that you're allowed to be yourself more in the company which you know obviously with all the politicking and backstabbing backstage in wwe that we hear about it would make sense here another big part much like punk he mentioned the brody situation he also included that the tribute show was also a big factor you know seeing that they would literally put everything on hold because of something terrible happening you know, you I can like obviously like one of the things that will still stick out to the rest of my life or for the rest of my life, I should say, is the fact that when Owen Hart fell at the over the edge pay-per-view, they kept going, you know, and I imagine if somebody like obviously it wouldn't be something like that. But let's say if somebody had like a medical episode, like remember when um 
uh, Jerry the King Lawler had his heart attack, I believe it was. And that was like during the show. I imagine that if something like that happened in AEW, they would stop the show and be like, we, we can't we can't continue this like this is insane. And I think that's that's a big thing, too, is that they understand the human element. And, you know, you got to you got to take some of that into perspective. Uh, the last thing he mentioned was the biggest factor for him was just the passion of the fans in AEW. We heard him say that in his post message at the end of All Out, where he just said, you're the best fans in the world, which is a big thing to say when you just came from WWE. So that was a really big deal. But yeah, a lot of cool things came out of that media scrum. There was a lot of interesting things said there and a lot of candid things said there, whether, you know, it's people, you know, try not to, you know, play bad to the other side. Cause I mean, both Cole and Danielson were very, very nice about WWE. You know, who knows if they end up saying something down the road. I mean, Moxley had no problem burning the company to the ground when he left. Punk had no problem. You know, maybe not everybody's like that. Malachi Black kind of did a bit of both where he kind of said like he didn't understand like why they, why they weren't doing much with him. But he also was trying to be like, you know, somewhat uh, respectful about it. So who knows? seems like these two know that, you know, they're, I mean, Cole has still a lot of friends in there. Obviously, Danielson has his wife there and, and members of his family are there. So, you know, they didn't want to burn too many bridges there. Uh, anyways, let's go on to Dynamite. So this was a very weird show. It was an on and off. Like, there was a lot of good, then a lot of bad. Like, there's there's a lot to go into here. Uh, the one notable thing is that we weren't getting Excalibur this week. You know, he, he was apparently getting married. Congratulations to him. Uh, they opened up with Malachi Black versus Dustin Rhodes. I was very excited for this match. And it was good. Like, it was perfectly manageable. Um, there were a couple cool things. Dustin tried to powerbomb Black through the timekeeper's table. Black reversed it and then back suplexed him through it. That nearly got a count out. I think during that time, Black was pulling the turnbuckle off. Uh, initial attempts during the match didn't really lead to much. Uh, and then after that, he was spending a lot of time taking out uh, Dustin Rhodes' legs. There's a good focus on that. Some good old old school, you know, working the working the injured body part. And eventually during the match, uh, Dustin eventually went headfirst into the exposed turnbuckle. And Black finished him off with a heel kick that I don't think he... He either didn't get his footing right or he just can't get his, his foot raised enough to get uh, Rhodes in the, in, in the head because he's so tall. I did appreciate that... Um, was it Taz? I think it was Taz that said, "Oh, he must. He's he looked like he was already out on his feet after he hit the turn, the exposed turnbuckle, which was smart. That way you're covering up. I think it was Taz because Taz usually is really good at covering up botches by giving you good explanations for stuff. And it was very solid that they just worked it in. Like, oh, he was already out cold after hitting the turnbuckle. The kick just knocked him down. That was really smart. The match, like I said, pretty good. Like it was good. It wasn't anything too crazy. I'm gonna give it three stars." You know, by the way, a lot of, like, I'm going to start understanding what my rating is. Anything above two and a half stars is when it starts getting good. Two and a half, if I ever give that, is, like, average. Right down the middle just means I don't like, I didn't like anything, like, too overwhelmingly. I didn't hate anything too overwhelmingly. It was just a fine match. So, three stars. There's a little bit more that I liked about it. I did like the body parts being worked on a bunch. I did like the striking. There was a bit of the, you know, hard-hitting action in there. You know, just a just a little bit above average. I did enjoy quite a bit, and that was nice. But yeah, um, we did find out later in the show too that Cody is coming back for the Arthur Ashe show for his rematch. Obviously, that's going to be a little more action packed than than the last one was. It won't be nearly as much of a squash. 
I still hope Black wins that match. I don't believe he should be losing yet. You know, um, it should be like that Cody gets much more of a shot and then maybe Black has to do some cheating to, to finish him off. But either way, it was a it was a decent match between him and, and uh, Dustin. So moving on, we had a couple of uh, promo packages. Uh, the Lucha Bros had a promo just basically talking about, you know, them being the tag champs and being ready to take on everybody. I know that Alex Abrahantes is there to translate. I would just prefer, though, because we saw this Lucha Underground. Penta is so intense. Just subtitle him. It's so much easier if you just subtitle him. That way you don't have to worry about, you know, needing the extra second for Alex to, you know, loosely translate what was just said. So, I don't know. That's always been a pet peeve of mine. Uh, they also had an Eddie Kingston promo package, basically just saying, you know, he's he's not done with Miro yet. And then Punk came out for his his big promo. He used his time to put over a bunch of people. Uh, obviously, he promoted the main event of, of John Moxley and Minoru Suzuki. Smart deal, using your time wisely, getting the main event over, making sure people tune in. He also put over Linda. Uh, if you watch Dark Side of the Ring on Brian Pillman, she was the person who raised Brian Pillman Jr. after Pillman passed away. And I believe it was Melanie who just kind of left him. Uh, and then he asked the fans for ideas of what to do next. He mentioned that his wife, you know, AJ Lee or April, as he calls her, I think it must be her real name, um, that, you know, what's what's the next thing? And fans were giving it ideas like Moxley and, and whatever else. And then Taz interrupted and tells him, don't you dare mention any members of Team Taz. To Punk says, I, I, I didn't. Apparently he didn't a tweet. I saw the tweet long after this. Okay, no big deal. So they, they bantered back and forth for a little bit. And then eventually Punk says, you know, I don't care which one of you it is. I don't care if it's Ricky Starks. I don't care if it's Powerhouse. I don't care if it's Hook. I don't even care if it's you, Taz. Bring me any one of the four of you. Beat me if you can. Survive if I let you. Pretty good. So I would imagine he's either going to work both of them or I would imagine you would wrestle Ricky Starks. I mean, it would make sense. Starks is, is the big one in the group. But, you know. No, nothing too fancy here. It was a decent section. Uh, we had a couple more video in, uh, or a couple more uh, packages. We had a Pride and Powerful package. Seems like they're getting a run for the tag titles. Nothing special there. Ruby So did a quick interview, uh, setting up for her match later against Jamie Hayter. Britt interrupted immediately. You know, they had a little bit of back and forth. Nothing too crazy there. Just continuing the story there. Then we had uh, Powerhouse Hobbs going up against Dante Martin, which was weird because Powerhouse Hobbs was walking to the ring after the CM Punk promo because they all came out. So there was a good chunk of time that Hobbs is just standing in the ring waiting. So that was that was a little bit of a weird choice. After that, they had a really, really fun match in the beginning. Like, there was a couple of crazy spots. Like, Hobbs caught Martin as he was doing a suicide dive, and he caught him while... He, um, Martin's feet were still hanging on the ropes. You know, like when Randy Orton does like his hangman's DDT and stuff like that. His feet were still there, and then Hobbs just whips him into the ring post. That was awesome. He uh, he basically grabbed Martin, then tossed him back in the ring, and Martin kind of floated in, as he always does when he gets some airtime. Same with the big-ass drop kicks that he does from the top rope, the amount of airtime he gets. Dante Martin is so incredible, and... It really makes you hope that Darius Martin, I don't know what his timetable is, but like you hope that these guys get back together because, man, these guys can make a serious run for the tag titles just by being as over as they are. Kind of like what, you know, the Hardy Boys used to be, you know, back in the day. You know, those guys together are just fantastic. But the match, on the other hand, did have its faults towards the end. I don't know what happened. 
it looks like at some point Hobbs might have gotten his bell rung because there was a certain point where there was just like a really weird amount of miscommunication. Like some, like Dante was going for something, Hobbs wasn't really there. Eventually, they they kind of worked around it. Hobbs hit a big spine buster. Eventually, got the finish. But yeah, something was really off towards the last like two minutes of that match. I think he might have gotten his bell rung, but uh, I haven't heard anything about it since. So who knows? It might have been that. It might have not been. But I'll give it a two and a half stars because there was a lot of good, but there was a lot of bad too at the end. So I put it right down the middle. You know, it could have been a really like I think if everything had gone fine by the end, maybe it could have gone up to three, three and a half. But because of the finish being as sloppy as it was, I have to drop it down a bit. After that, we had a promo with Dan Lambert and, and the men of the year. More of the same. I'm honestly like this is one of those things that should not have been on the show. And I it's not that I don't like Dan Lambert. I love the promos. They're great heel promos. But because of the main event losing time, as we'll get into when we get to that point, there was a lot of things on the show that needed to that that didn't need to be here. And this was one of them that I think could have saved them a little bit of extra time. Uh, We also had an Orange Cassidy, Matt Hardy promo. It looks like we're getting a hair versus hair match at some point. I would imagine Matt Hardy's going to shave his head and maybe that'll give him some sort of new character, something to do. I mean, it's something to change it up. Uh, After that, MJF came out. Immediately talks about who actually won the match, you know, because he got the pinfall it all out, but the foot was on the ropes and Aubrey didn't catch it. But he's calling it extreme bias prevented his win. Does a bunch of cheap heat things. He talks, you know, Cincinnati calls him Shitsinati, and he goes after um, Linda and Pillman's uh, Brian Pillman, not uh, Brian Pillman Jr., but Brian Pillman's daughter, which I believe is Pillman's junior sister. Uh, he basically says a bunch of things about him. Uh, eventually Pillman Jr. shows up on his own. And I think one last thing was said about his, either his mother or his mother-in-law. And eventually Pillman got into the ring and he went to, or Wardlow got in front of them and then MJF kind of turned on, like and he kind of turned on him a little bit, gave him shit for not helping him at all out and goes to tell him to kind of just chill in the corner so when Pillman attacks him, Wardlow kind of doesn't notice for a second. He almost looks like he's teasing that he's going to ignore him, but eventually does help. Uh, Griff Garrison eventually tries to help as well, but he fails. He gets hit with the uh, with the the diamond ring, and that kind of leads to a story where later in the show, uh, Max Caster kind of like makes fun of of Pillman and and them for Garrison kind of being kind of knocked out there. And that led to a rampage match, which we'll get into uh, when we get to rampage. But I mean, it was a good promo. It got, it got over. It was, I think it might've also been a little bit long because it didn't need to be that much cheap heat. They could have just said a couple of things, had Pillman come out and then just end it there. But I guess they had to set up for the, the show that, you know, the Arthur Ashe show where they're going to have that match, uh, which is a weird pairing mjf and pillman jr i don't know what they're trying to do with this i don't know maybe they're maybe taking a stab at at giving pillman jr a chance to kind of see if he's got some singles talent going on there i don't know maybe maybe garrison's injured and maybe they're trying to figure out something with that i don't know but it just seemed like a weird match placement we had a quick promo for the moxley suzuki match nothing special there and then we have ruby soho against jamie Hayter, which Man, it, again, like a little bit sloppy. You know, there was some cool stuff early. Hater, actually, there was a moment where I was scared of quite a little bit. There was a point where she threw Ruby really hard towards the bottom rope, and it looked rough. And I immediately had flashbacks. And it was not this rough when it happened, but I remember the uh, 
the Paraguayo Jr. situation where he ended up passing, not passing out, he ended up uh, passing away, you know, when he just took an innocuous, you know, throw into the bottom rope and kind of just cracked his neck, and that was it. And that moment just scared the shit out of me for a little bit because it looked really, really, really hard. And I was worried that something would have happened, but it seemed like everything was fine. I found it really interesting that the fans know to boo hater, you know, but they still kind of look at Baker like they're God. Like, look, I have a weird problem with the way that Baker gets cheered as much because she does so much heel tactics that I know the fans like her, but I, you know, the fans are usually smart enough to know, oh, this is the heel. This is who we got to boo. And they know to do it. And yet they still kind of cheer for Baker. And it's, it's kind of a weird situation. Um, speaking of the sloppy stuff, there was a spot where uh, Hater had Ruby up on her shoulders in the electric chair spot. Ruby leaned back. I don't know if she was going for a poison Rana or something, but they just kind of fell over. I'm not really sure what they were trying to do, but it, it didn't it didn't quite work, and it really showed like there was a little bit of sloppiness through through the throughout the match. And then she win or Ruby won with like what looked like a kind of like a like a shining wizard or a spinning kick or something like that, which. And I saw her do it, you know, in, in Rampage, which we'll get to as well. I think they need to devise a better finish for her because it's just a kick. You know, there's so many other moves that are done in these. I think they need to find something a little bit different to kind of have her stand out. She really needs a more impactful finisher to be taken seriously. Because if that's her finish, I'm not going to believe her beating Brit, even if the plan is for her to win. Even if she does beat Brit, which I don't think she will. I want her to, but I don't think she will. That kick's not going to make me think it's there. So it's it's not that interesting. I will admit, not to say that Ruby's bad. I do think the hater looked really good in the match in comparison to Ruby. I don't know if it's either ring rust. Maybe Ruby it just isn't, you know, adjust readjusting to the fact that she doesn't have to work WWE style anymore. Maybe it's that. I'm not sure, but you know, it's not like I'm saying she's bad. It's just I the one thing that I noticed throughout that match is man, hater is so good. You know, and, and it just shows me that, like, when inevitably she breaks away from Baker, she's going to be a fucking star. I, I just absolutely love her right now. But uh, act- but after the bell, Baker and Rebel, they do attack Ruby after. They actually boo her a little bit, which was surprising to me after they were cheering her so much. Uh, Rio tried to come in for the save. She got absolutely destroyed. Poor Rio has just been getting just shit on over the Battle Royal and this, getting, like, no offense in. And then they go to curb stomp uh, Ruby Soho on the belt, and Statlander comes in to save the day with a steel chair, and that ends that. Uh, after that, we had a couple, we had a video package for leading up to another Starks Cage match, I guess a rematch for the FTW title. Nothing special there. Um, yeah, I, I can't really say much about that. Then we had FTR and Sean Spears going up against the Dark Order. That beating um, was it Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, and. So John Silver, yeah, it was John Silver. They show, and I don't think they showed it, but we know if you were watching Dark, Evil Uno and Alan Angels had a match, and that ended up being a very awkward situation. The fans were really not too happy with it, and I think that's the intention. But they they made their voices heard, like they actually had a "Please don't fight" chant, um, and eventually Evil Uno had to get really aggressive, and that seemed to put a little bit more um, tenacity between everybody. And just before the match, everybody's still fighting. Anna Jay finally got, got involved to try to bring everybody together. Uh, Sil- Silver and Grayson during the beginning of the match were fighting to, you know, who starts it. 
Eventually, you know, a whole bunch of mishaps, like John Silver ran into Evil Uno during the match. That created a bunch of stuff. And eventually Spears won with the Death Valley Driver. I can't remember who he pinned. I think it was Uno. I'm not sure, though. Uh, and after that, more infighting. They actually have a pretty big brawl, which, you know, fans really didn't take too well. Again, that's the point. Anna Jay and Ty Conti came out, but Conti prevented Anna from going all the way to the ring to help them. Kind of like similar to what Evil Uno was doing with the guys when they wanted to go help a hangman. It's like, no, they got to they gotta do this themselves. This is either going to ruin them or they got to figure it out themselves. We can't keep trying to help them. Uh, we had a Tully Blanchard promo afterwards. Calls out Sting for not being a leader, just leeching off of Darby Allen. Uh, challenges Darby to face Spears at some point. And then at one, and after the end of the promo, which will be interesting if it's this thing that happens, he said it'll be him and Sting one more time someday. That would be a very interesting... I don't know if that would be through a tag team match or literally one-on-one. I almost want them to try doing it one-on-one. I know it won't be nearly the kind of match that, you know, anybody would hope it would be, but you can tell a really good story with two guys that are up there in age that can't do the crazy stuff and they're just more just smacking the shit out of each other. And you could tell a really good story with, like, outside interference and things like that. I think it would be really an interesting thing to try. Uh, like I said, there was that Varsity Blondes thing where they set up the match. Well, the setup of the match is Pillman and MGF on the 22nd at Arthur Ashe, and then Caster versus Pillman on the Rampage that we'll get to shortly. Uh, we had a big elite interview. Callis says, per usual, takes the mic from Tony before anything starts. As soon as they introduce Adam Cole, he goes right to Tony Schiavone uh, and gets in his face for telling him, don't you dare get too close to Brit. You know, starts calling him a nerd, which was hilarious. You know, Cole being the Twitch gamer. Uh, says the elite is back in full. Never really mentions the Good Brothers, which is an interesting way to look at it. Although I don't think the Good Brothers were technically ever in the elite. They were just Bullet Club OGs. But it's always interesting. In any promo that he's talked about, you know, the elite, he's always talked about Kenny and the Bucks, but never mentions the Good Brothers. It's very interesting. His first match next week, by the way, will be on Dynamite uh, against Frankie Kazarian. I thought it was going to be against Jungle Boy because that's who he super kicked, but no, they're going to go with the Elite Hunter. Because, you know, as as we get into later in the in the pro in the promo, eventually Kazarian ended up kind of taking a shot at, at Cole. Uh Omega tried to talk again, you know, but Danielson interrupts him once more. And then when he tries to talk again with Danielson in the ring, he takes the mic from him and asks if the fans want to see them fight. Omega kind of denies it. And eventually he tries to take a shot at Danielson. He gets put in I think it used to be called the LaBelle lock before it was the yes lock. If anybody, if anybody can correct me in the YouTube comments, if you're watching the video version, that would be greatly appreciated. Or Twitter at CS Radical. I just can't quite remember what the name is. Uh, the Elite eventually attack, and then the Jurassic Express, Christian Cage, and Kazarian all come together to make the save. So that starts setting up things that we'll see down the line. And then lastly, we get to the main event. And this is where the complaints come in. So as everybody knows, if you watched it, Minoru Suzuki has a legendary track that has... The big line, Kaze Ninare, that everybody gets to chant, and it's really big and loud, and because they were so short on time, they cut that part. Before they got to that point, they already played John's music. And I was not happy about that, especially because John took way too much time into his entrance. He could have just powered down to the ring and wouldn't have robbed the fans of, of that. Also, the match was really short, which didn't help. The match was still really good. I loved it. You know, I love that old school, you know, strong style, hard hitting match that you expect from somebody like Moxley and Suzuki. 
Lots of punches, chops, kicks, headbutts, even bites to the foreheads they were exchanging. Uh, Suzuki goes for the sleeper and then goes for the pile driver, but Mox reverses with a paradigm shift and a clothesline, but he only gets a one. At some point during the match, Suzuki's bleeding from above his right eye. It turned out he ended up getting seven stitches for it. Eventually, he knocks Suzuki out with a punch to the head and then finishes him with a big paradigm shift, the lifting paradigm shift. Yeah, this needed a lot more time. This could have been another three, five plus minutes. Like I said, they could have gotten rid of the Lambert promo. They also could have gotten rid of like a couple of video packages like the Lucha Bros, the Pride and Powerful one, the Starks and Cage video package. You could have done those anywhere else. You could have put those on Dark. You could have put those on Rampage. You could have done anything else to add just a few more minutes they could have given them, or sorry, given them a little bit more time. And they need to rebook him to make amends. And I actually have in my notes before we found out that they are going to be doing something. I said, having him tag with Archer against the men of the year at Arthur Ashe would be a great way to do it. Because the men of the year attacked Archer at that point where he was going after Dan Lambert. And having his old Suzuki gun leader tagging up against them at Arthur Ashe would have been a great way. Now, it seems to be that this week on Dynamite, Suzuki with Archer is going to be coming out and addressing what happened assuming that means we're getting another match with moxley but eddie theoretically should be fighting miro at arthur ash in new york so if they were to say tag against moxley who would his opponent be that could be interesting they might just go with the men of the year option anyway but it seems like they're leading up to some sort of tag with with uh, archer and suzuki but we'll see what happens at that point but yeah, Dynamite was was weird. Like there was some really good stuff. There was some there was some stuff that was really annoying. It just seems like another case where they really need to figure out how to time this stuff better. And you know, like I said, they're going to be doing something with Suzuki and Archer on Dynamite next week. So they're making amends. So they're doing what they always do, which is listen to the fans. But it doesn't excuse the fact that this show had a really messy time issue, and there were some really messy matches in there. There was a lot of stuff that didn't need to be there. And I think they they really need to understand that like if you're going to do these shows and you're trying to package a bunch of stuff in there, you got to understand that the packages are not as important as the stuff in the ring. The matches should always get priority over video packages. You can easily throw that Pride and Powerful package on YouTube. You can easily do that anywhere else. Even on Dark, you can do it wherever else you want where there's no time constraints. But on a live show where you have X amount of time, make sure the matches get the time first and then worry about everything else after. That's all. But it was still a decent show, but it could have been better had they not hampered the main event. And then we move on to Rampage, starting off with Andre El Idolo against Pac. No entrances, which I thought was an interesting choice. This match was incredible. Uh, there was a good hangman DDT by Andrade to the edge of the, of the ring out on the apron. That was awesome. He also stomped Pac while he was hanging on the turnbuckle outside on the apron. So there were a couple of good spots. Uh, Pac got a pretty good flurry in before he got Andrade in the brutalizer. I think the other guy with Chavo was Jose. He got on the apron with a taser, man. It felt like Scott Hall sitting up there with the cattle prod for Goldberg, didn't it? Uh, the Lucha Bros deal with him, but then Chavo hit Pac with something. Eventually they said it was an iPad. And Andrade got the pin. I didn't like this finish because, man, like, it seemed like such a weak hit. And he didn't hit him in the head. He hit him in the back. Like, it shouldn't do have done that much. Maybe if, if Andrade had gotten the tights or if maybe Pac had, like, gotten off of him because of getting hit. And then Andrade hit him with something. But no, he just rolled him up. And I thought that was not too great. 
Um, after the match, Andrade just hit Chavo for some reason. I don't know if he was upset that Chavo got involved. I don't know. The Lucha Brothers also super kicked him, and then Pac put him in the Brutalizer. I wonder if that means they're writing off Chavo off TV. You know, and it also makes us ask the question, does that mean Ric Flair is coming to AEW to be Andrade's manager? Because we saw him do that in AAA, or Triple or I think it's pronounced. Um, but the match itself was fucking fantastic. Despite the finish, I love this match. There wasn't a dull moment. Everything flowed so well. There's so many cool moments in there. I'm going to give it a four and a half stars. I love this match. Aside from the finish, fantastic match. Did everything it needed to do. It was a hard-hitting match. Got everybody hyped up for the rest of the show. You know, that's that's how you start off. Like, if that was a match they started off the pay-per-view with at All Out, holy shit, that would have been crazy. But instead, it opens up a Friday Rampage one-hour show. And, you know, the show after that was fine, but at least you got pretty hyped up to go the rest of the way. Uh, we had a big promo with Darby and Sting. You know, he called Spears a generic piece of shit. Sting all, Sting added that, you know, you think I'm coattailing on Darby? What do you think you did, Tully, your entire time with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson? Tully comes out. He's alone, which you knew Spears was coming up from behind. He took out Darby with the Death Valley driver outside the ring while Sting isn't looking and just basically showed that, you know, I can outsmart you any day of the week leading up to whatever they're going to do. Well, I don't know if it's next week. I don't know if it's after. I think it is next week that Darby's facing Spears. Uh, or I guess this Wednesday. You know, since I put this out on Tuesday. Um, but yeah. You know, they, they they set this up pretty well. And I really wonder where they're going to go with this afterwards. But I guess, you know, they need something for Darby and Singh to be doing now that the punk stuff's over. Uh, we had brief interviews with Adam Cole and Brian Danielson. Really nothing too special. Just building hype. Uh, yeah, nothing was really said here that kind of stood out. So we move on to the trios women's match. Ruby Soho, Rio, and Chris Statlander going up against Britt Baker, Rebel, and Janie Hayter. There was a funny moment at the beginning of the match where Riho tossed her coat to Orange Cassidy, who just kind of held his arms out. They missed. Riho looked like visibly upset. Everybody was kind of laughing about that. That was that was a funny start. Um, this was an okay match. There was one cool spot where uh Riho was up on Statlander's shoulders. Actually, well, there were two spots. She had she had her arms hooked into Satlander and did like the Liu Kang like like over kicks like the whoop, 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 whoop. although the kicks didn't really look that good. So I think it was Hater trying to sell it. It she did her best to try to stay in position, but it was a really hard thing to sell. She did get a double stomp onto Rebel, who was covering Britt Baker to try to protect her off of Statlander's shoulders. That was a cool spot. And then in the end, after you know back and forth, the heels getting their their stuff in. Uh, Spruby Soho beat Rebel with a pretty innocuous Pele kick. Again, they need a better finish for it. They need something more impactful, like something that kind of, like, not like a flatliner, but something just that is really easy to pull off but hits hard. But they did get the win. Um, it wasn't as sloppy as as the Soho hater match from Wednesday, so I'll give it a three stars, just a little bit better than than you would expect. I'm not going to do the quarter star stuff, by the way. I, I, I can't, I can't f- find a level perfect enough to do anything other than half stars. So three stars for the trios match. And then we finish off with the main event, Brian Pillman Jr. against Max Caster. Um, the promo from Caster, you know, they did a decent job. You know, Bowens is getting better too at being like the funny guy that kind of adds to Caster's raps at the end. So those two are coming together really well. It's good to see them all back together. 
Uh, Pillman came up with Bengals tights. He had Flying Brian on the back, so he was sporting his dad's, you know, old gear. That was pretty cool. The match, however, was was just an average match. There wasn't anything too special with it. Nothing to really note of. Like Bowens was getting inter- inter- or it was interfering a lot, but the match itself wasn't anything too too crazy. It wasn't like something that really stood out. He does Pillman, I should say, eventually does get the win with a springboard crossbody similar to what his dad would do. And then after that, you know, uh, Bowens attacks. He goes to hit Pillman with the uh, the speakers, but Moxley, being the other Cincinnati boy, he comes out with the save, and that's how we end the show. Two and a half star match. Like I said, right down the middle, very average. Nothing to say really big about it. And that was our two big shows. So Rampage had the better match in uh, Andrade versus Pac. I think I would give the edge to Dynamite just, you know, for having a couple of good... I mean, they had everybody on there. You had Cole and Danielson doing their promos. You had CM Punk doing his promo. You had the Moxley-Suzuki match, despite the time being taken away from it. But, um, but yeah. So we'll finish off with all with a couple of news stories that we got here. Uh, first one, the estimates for the all-out buy rate. I don't know if the numbers are still official yet. I don't think I've seen anything different from what uh, Meltzer estimates. He's saying it's somewhere between 200 and 220,000 buys. Just for reference sake, Revolution was 145,000. So it's bigger than most things we've seen in the last, like, really 10 plus years. It's one of the bigger pay-per-view buys we've had ever, not counting, you know, network buys from WWE. He's estimating as well that they made somewhere around $5 million in revenue in between, you know, the pay-per-view buys, the gate, the, like, everything, all the merch, like, everything all combined they probably made about five million on that, so that was that. And great for them. Like that show was fantastic. They deserved it. They got everything they wanted. They got all the hype in there to get people to buy it, and they more than delivered. And as we've seen with the Dynamite ratings, like Dynamite this week pulled one point three. It was their second best rating they've ever had. They actually beat Raw in the demo, which rarely ever happens, if if it, if at all. I don't know if it has since the uh, the debut show. And it just goes to show you, like that momentum keeps climbing. And hopefully it just continues to do so. I don't think they're going to be doing 1.3s all the time now, but hopefully they can start sticking above a hunt or above a million for dynamite every week. Now that would be the hope if they can stay above a million, that's a good setting to have that at least tells them that you've got a really solid fan base that are tuning in. Maybe you have a certain main event that gets more people to tune in. Maybe you have, you know, something big down the line, like the Arthur Ashe show will probably get some, some extra views than normal. You know, and I don't know what's going to happen with these quarterly specials they've been talking about too. That would be on TNT once they officially make the move to TBS, which will also be interesting because we don't know how the ratings will change if they go to a station that has more overall viewership. But, you know, obviously that's something to worry about down the road. Uh, The next story, the PWI top 500. Kenny Omega is the number one. I believe this is the second year in a row that the AEW champion is the one who's number one because I think Moxley was last year, if I'm not mistaken. Either that or the year before. I cannot remember, but Kenny Omega is number one this year. Uh, AEW giving big congratulations. There were also several people from the show in the top 50, so we'll go over those. Moxley finished at six. Cody Rose, which I thought was weird, but they do track a different timeline, so maybe because he had the TNT title for a while, that's why, but he was number 11. Darby Allen at number 14. Jericho at 19, Orange Cassie at 21, MJF at 26, Pack at 33, Hangman at 34, 
Oddly enough, our two newest signings, even though this is only counting their WWE runs, Brian Danielson at 36, Adam Cole at 37. And then interestingly enough, the new signing, if anybody paid attention to Dark's highlights, I don't know if it's actually officially on on televised Dark yet on YouTube. I think this is something that mostly we've seen through like Twitter. But uh, Lee Moriarty, who was just recently given an AEW contract, finished at 47. I had never heard of this guy before, so I'm really excited to see what he does, you know, being somebody who was rated so highly. So that was cool. Pretty decent amount of guys hitting in the top 50. So that that's awesome. Uh, otherwise, we have two stories pertaining to potential AEW signings. And we'll start with the one that I honestly don't know if I want. And it's Bray Wyatt. So this comes from Shamrock Sap, basically saying, you know, I can't see him signing for two months. And even if he could, I don't see him going to AEW. So, I mean, you could make a case for him taking over the Dark Order, you know, obviously with everything going on. But that's a long time still that they're going to be infighting. I really do believe that they should just come together when Hangman comes back. And I assume that will be soon. I wouldn't even be surprised if he shows up at Arthur Ashe. But I think the setup for fall, or not for fall, uh, for full gear should be Hangman, Kenny Omega, and that should be when the title changes. So whenever Hangman shows up should be when the Dark Order kind of gets itself back together again. But I mean, you could always make the case that Bray Wyatt corrects them. You could also make the case that Malachi Black would fit that role. I still don't think Dark Order should be ever having another leader, at least in the similar sense of what Brody Lee did. I don't think it would be right to do that, and I don't think the fans would would appreciate it either. But um, if I was to make a case for Bray Wyatt being here in AEW, I mean, you could. It's a name, like it's it's a real like the creativity that he exudes could definitely do a lot, especially if you were to put him with Dark Order or anything else that they could do with him. It's just I'm at the point, and I know I'm going to do a video of it later on. By the way, if you're watching this or listening to this on a podcast, check out my YouTube channel because I just recently did a tier list for uh, all the entrance themes in AEW right now. I do want to make a video eventually as a side content going over the entire WWE roster and saying, this is who I absolutely without question would take. Here's who, if they were available, I would take a look at them if if the timing was right and then people that I wouldn't want to even touch. And a big key for a lot of the names that I would take, honestly, is that they're independent made names. They're not WWE made names. Bray is kind of one of those cases where it's WWE made. And, you know, despite him being a very interesting character, because you have both Bray Wyatt and The Fiend in your back pocket, um, I don't know if we need to keep signing every major WWE name out there. You can like there are certain guys that you just can't ignore. Like Adam Cole, you can't ignore because there's the elite matching. Brian Danielson, you can't ignore a because he's one of the biggest independent names that ever existed out there. And then at the same time, he is one of the biggest stars in wrestling. You can't ignore that. But like, if I ever do make that video, I'm going to be making a case for a lot of these guys being like, look, they're a big name in WWE, but they don't have a connection to AEW. They don't have that fan connection or. You know, at some point, you have to put a stop to bringing in too much talent because if you're bringing in big-name WWE guys, the expectation is they're going to be high up on the card. You can't have everybody up there. So that's why making signings like 2.0 made sense 
because those are guys that you don't have to push to the top of the card. They're just good complementary talent. You can't just keep signing everybody. And I think with Bray, he's personally one of those guys that I look at and saying, look, if we didn't have all this other roster stuff, like if we didn't have Cole, Danielson, Black, Andrade, like all these names they've collected because they've all been released or their contracts have ended, maybe I would take a look at Bray. But because the roster is so, so high right now, at some point you've got to stop. And at some point too, with the amount of money you'd have to spend to get these guys in, I imagine, I know that they are okay with not being profitable for a few years, but their goal at some point is going to make a profit. And you're not going to want to spend too much money and lose too much money, regardless of whether or not you're comfortable with losing money right now. You don't want to be losing too much. So you got to be careful and you got to make sure that the guys you're getting, you know are going to make an immediate impact, are going to make a big impact, and you know are going to be able to hang in there for a while because you don't want to sign them and then not do much with them because they either like, you know, they're broken down or whatever else. I'm not saying Bray is, but I am saying like you got to start assessing the risks a little bit more now because the roster is so big. You got to start being careful about who you take because you got to make sure you're going to use them a lot because you don't want to bring guys in and then have them work once a month and then you're not getting your money's worth out of them. So. And then there's the other case, which I'm also taking from uh, Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful. Uh, Fightful Select, I, I don't have the story up there because I don't have Fightful Select, but they learned that Kevin's Owen, or Kevin Owens' contract is coming up much sooner than expected. And I believe that it was said to be in January of this year, of next year, sorry. And Sami Zayn, ironically enough, is also coming up soon. And that is a very interesting thing. Now, Owens kind of teased it a little bit. He tweeted the coordinates for Mount Rushmore before quickly deleting it. For those who don't know, it was a it was a stable that he used to be in with. I believe it was Cole and the Bucks, if I'm not mistaken. And then he also uh, at one point had his Twitter location set to almost there, and the Bucks had theirs set to just there. So there was a little bit of teasing there. Him and Sammy would be interesting, and I think I would not want to go with one of them if I couldn't get the other. I think that's if I was Tony Khan, what I'd be doing is start. With, apparently, Zayn's is up sooner. So I'd be talking with him going, hey, what are you guys thinking about? And, you know, that's when you start talking with Kevin Owens as well and saying, hey, like, are you guys interested? These are two guys that I would bring in, but I wouldn't want one over the other. I want them together because you put those guys together. It's like we said in WWE, anytime you put them together in a feud, you have a money feud. It always works. And same, you can put these guys together, especially if Sammy goes back to being El Generico. I don't know if he would. Because again, like you're going from being used to not having a mask for so long, maybe putting the mask on kind of throws you off because it might fuck with your breathing a little bit. Who knows? Maybe he's just more comfortable just being a different character now. You know, I would imagine Owens would go back to being Kevin Steen. I don't know what Sami Zayn would do. He might just be himself. He might be El Generico again. We don't know. I mean, he might be El Generico when he comes. Like, you could make a case of like heel Generico coming out in his old character. And then kicking the shit out of some good guy. And actually, funnily enough, he just came back from uh, the orphanage. And then he could immediately like kick the shit out of Marco Stunt. That would, that would be funny. And then rips off the mask, showing that, you know, I'm not going to do this shit for you guys anymore. And he does something completely different. But those two guys together, I think outside of a very, very select few now, like those are the guys, if I can get them, 
that's like the last bit of like, okay, this roster is perfect. You know, we are only going to add to this now in some crazy scenario where like the ultimate thing. But I think at this point, if you get somebody like Cena and Generico, Owens and Zayn, depending on how you look at it, at that point, the men are solid. Unless you can get like a big tag team together. Otherwise, like the singles wrestlers, you're done. You don't need to do much else. That's when you start looking into the indies and start looking at the stars of tomorrow. Because you, excuse me, you've got so many guys that you're already ready. You got Hangman, you got MJF, you got Jungle Boy, you got all these guys that down the road can also win the world title. You don't need to keep oversaturating the roster. We don't want to be WCW where there's too many top guys and it's so difficult for anybody to get a fair shake in the undercard. So you got to be careful with that too. But for Owens and Zayn, I would make that exception because those two together would bring a lot. And also, you get more Canadians in there because I will never complain about more Canadians in there. So everything about that is way big to me. I would love to see both of them in there. But we're starting to get to a point, like I said, where you got to be really, really careful. You don't want to overdo it. But for those two, I will allow the exception because I love them that much. And that's going to do it. That's everything that I got here. So that is going to be it for this episode of the All Radical Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. Again, if you are listening to this on an audio platform, if you have the ability to rate us there, please do so. That is very appreciated. Uh, if you want to know where the audio platforms are, it's just anchor.fm slash Wrestling. I think the only links that we have right now, because I just put this up on Anchor. I'm still waiting for some of these to get uh, distributed to other sources. So far, it's just Anchor and Spotify, as far as I know. Might change in the next week or two. Usually, Apple Podcasts is the hard one to get on there. That usually takes a while. If you're watching this on YouTube, obviously, like the video. Subscribe to the channel. I've, Like I said, I've got the tier list that I did for all the entrance music. I did based on... The actual songs, I don't have anything to do with like, oh, it fits their character. It's more, do I like listening to this music? That's how I did the tier list from. It's a fun watch. I suggest you take a look at that. And then if you have any comments, leave that below in the YouTube uh, channel. Obviously, if you are listening to an audio service and you can't, you can also email me at allradicalwrestling at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at csradical. So... Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode. I hope to see you guys next week where we set up for Arthur Ashe on the 22nd. And hopefully we get uh, we get some more cool news because I love talking about random people coming to AEW, whether or not I want them to be there. So thank you again for watching the show. Enjoy the rest of your day and have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye.